Hello, and good afternoon. Welcome to our show, We're Talking Golf. I'm your host, Douglas Maida. Now, on today's show, we're going to continue our look at golf and the sports development in other parts of the world outside the traditional golf markets. Most of you will know the traditional golf markets as being the English-speaking countries of the United States, Great Britain, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. But golf is a global sport. It may not have the universal participation that soccer or football does, but it is growing significantly. And a good deal of that has to go to the Olympics and the inclusion of golf as a medal sport. In golf's major championships, there have been winners this year representing the countries of Japan, the United States, Spain, and one of those winners on the men's side was from the United States, but was an American of Japanese ancestry. It is even more profound in the women's game. Major championship winners this year include Thailand, the Philippines, the United States, and Australia. This show is being recorded before the last major, so we're going to see who wins the AIG Women's Championship. Golf is a global sport. Thai fans were happy to see one of their own, Patty Tavitanikit, win at the ANA Championship this year. She joined Arya Jutanyagarn as the only Thai players to capture a major. Americans were delighted for Nellie Korda winning her first major. And the same could be said for Australia's Minji Lee at the Evian Championship. And, of course, the Filipinos have been simply ecstatic since Yuko Sasso captured the U.S. Women's Open in San Francisco. They celebrated across the nation, some calling for a national day of celebration in the Philippines. With the exception of the United States and Australia, these winners, both the men and women, represented nations that are in a love affair with golf. It is through participation and viewership that these nations see themselves being reflected in their new champions. Whether it be a Japanese boy or girl who sees Hideki Matsuyama or Hinako Shibuno, who won the AIG Women's Open a couple of years ago, or whether it's John Rahm picking up the torch from Sevi Ballesteros and Jose Maria Olafable for Spain, Young Thais and Filipinos are beginning to dream that they too can play golf and compete on the world stage. That is the power of this sport. That is the power of golf in the Olympics. And it is the power of seeing an international set of champions in the majors. Now our last show featured the growth and development of golf and elite players from the Netherlands. Today's show continues along that theme. Our guest today is Louisa Altman. She's a professional player on the Ladies European Tour and she hails from Brazil. Now it's time for us to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll get right to our special guest and get right into the show. Thanks. Built on a sleek titanium frame, with a light yet strong carbon body, and a precision weighting system, the new TR20 from Hanma. Speed reframed. Welcome to our show. We are proud to announce that we're talking golf has been recognized as one of the top 40 podcasts to follow in 2021 for PGA and LPGA golf coverage. Today's show is being recorded from our studio in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We are produced by the World of Golf and you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.worldofgolf.org 
or on our social media channels of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and now on LinkedIn. For those of you in Asia and elsewhere, you can also follow us on Weibo and WeChat. Now, back to our show. Here is your host, Douglas Maida. We're back. Thank you for staying with us. I would also like to take this time to thank you, our listeners, from around the world, for listening to our show. Now, I would like to introduce our guest without much further ado. Luisa Altman is a professional player from Brazil, currently playing on the Ladies European Tour. She returned to her home base in the United States after spending seven weeks competing on the LET. She's joining us on Zoom from her home in Lake Nona, Florida. Welcome to our show, Luisa. We're glad to have you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being here and I'm excited. Great, great. Well, we're very happy to have you here on the show. Um, Why don't you share a little bit about where you just came back from? Because you were playing the team event in Spain, I believe. Yeah, I was. um, They have four series this year. And it's team events on the Ladies European Tour, where it's three professional and one amateur. And we compete for the for the first place. Right. And this is called the Aramco series, is it? Yeah, it is. We started in London. Uh, last one was in Spain. The next one will be in New York. And then the final one in Saudi Arabia. So do you have the same team that you play with every event? No, we switch it up every tournament. Okay. So it's a matter of keeping individual score for the yeah, team members. Exactly. Then. Right. So... If I understand correctly, so your score, even though you played with different players, say in London and in Spain, it's a keeping track of your score cumulatively or? Oh, no, 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 no. Each um, each series is their own little tournament. So it's a standalone event. Yeah, okay. exactly. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Perfect. No, no, that's quite all right. It's a brand new concept this year. So it's interesting to get to know it and see how it plays out this yeah, year. Yeah, so for sure. Terrific. So Louisa, tell us, what was it like growing up in Brazil, Sao Paulo, area trying to play golf um it was actually a lot of fun um since there aren't many golfers in brazil we were a really close um community of golfers so every tournament that i would go to it's the same people um so i grew up playing junior golf playing every month with the same people. So it just grew up to be my family, you know? Um, but it was good. I, I used to just practice and play with my parents. And um, we were members at Terras de São José. So that's in Itu, in Sao Paulo. And when I turned 15, I think it was Around 15, um, we decided to move to the United States. Oh, so your family's all here with you? No, they're not. Oh, okay. Uh, they, they stayed until I went to college, and then they had to move back to Brazil, unfortunately. Uh, okay, I understand. I understand. So at what age were you roughly when you started, when you first picked up your first golf club? I was nine years old. Oh, wow. Wow. And who got I, you into that? My dad. Because he was a, a recreational player himself? or. Um, so my dad always used to play. He played from when he was like 20 years old. And then he moved to Zaire, Africa um, for work where he stopped playing because golf there was just send. So and then he moved back to Brazil, met my mom. They had me 
and they weren't doing any sports. He was getting fat, honestly. So he turned to my mom and I and said, well, I want to do a sport. Um, but I mean, running on the treadmill or working out, you're just like inside a box. It's kind of boring for me. Tennis, you always have to play against um, someone that's the same level. So we couldn't really do that as a family and family was so important for us. So one sport that he always did that you can do when you're eight, 80, doesn't matter, um, was golf. So he said to my mom and I, I'll bring you guys to the golf course. If you guys like it, we'll continue and play. If not, we'll look for another sport that we can do as a family. And I fell in love with it and kept playing since then. So when you were growing up, it's primarily your family that you played golf with. Yeah. Did you also develop a lot of friends at the clubs and on the golf course and oh, friends absolutely. like that that you played with? Absolutely. Um, like I said, since golf wasn't um, as big when I used to play, um, a lot of the, the junior tournaments would be the same people and it's the same people that I grew up playing with. So it was it was very nice um, getting to see everyone and competing week in, week out with the same people. And that carried over into playing with the National Team Federation. and Exactly. Exactly. When you were younger, did you have a coach or did you, how did you start to develop from, say, the young nine-year-old who was just swinging the club and having fun and getting into the game to becoming a, a more of a serious player as a junior? So I started, um, I had a couple coaches in my course back home. Um, Luis Menezes was my very first coach. And then Hubert Ley, they're both at uh, Terra de San José, which is, um, was my very first course. But also my dad, he helped me a lot. Um, we, we used to go home and watch like David Ledevetter videos and just YouTube videos on things to do. And he would always show me, all right, Lou, you're doing this, uh, try doing that, just experiencing and having some uh, um, ideas on the golf swing as I was growing up. And then when I turned 15, we decided, um, like, I really wanted to do that as my career. So I needed somebody to be with me, like, 24-7 and um, have, like, be practicing golf every single day where I couldn't really do that back in Brazil. So I moved to a golf academy in South Carolina where I was actually practicing, like, six to seven hours a day with a coach and with um, the other players in my academy. Do you have um, any sort of recollections of how it was when you're a junior and you're just starting out compared to today? And is there, are you able to see a noticeable improvement in golf in Brazil? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like Olympics have helped quite a bit. Um, but the golf confederation itself have been helping improve the game and bringing more juniors and junior camps. And nowadays um, there's a lot more girls and boys playing. So I feel like the sport has developed quite a bit since I was, since I used to play. Besides the Olympics, are you seeing a increase in say the skill level of the children coming into the game? Like, are they starting to take up and learn the fundamentals much quicker than, say, when you were younger? Um, absolutely. I feel like also with technology 
these days you can learn a lot more through video calls and like having coaches with you no matter where you are also the use of like trackman or statistics uh, that has been brought to the golfers um, much easier um, so people can improve a lot quicker tell us a little bit about uh, when you were playing golf and what it was like to play in a country where we jokingly say that uh, football or soccer is a religion not a sport <laughs> that is actually very true um it's something that for example like in my high school in brazil we like all that we could choose in PE class was either volleyball or soccer, which we call football. And in the high schools here in the U.S., you can pick golf, baseball, basketball, literally any sport you want. Whereas in Brazil, it was just, all right, you guys are playing soccer or volleyball, you pick. <laughs> um, so that's why, that's where the junior camps and um, just these like extracurricular activities play like a huge role to the golfers in Brazil because you need to do that outside of school because unfortunately not many schools offer that um, as a sport. Right, right. So the emphasis obviously was, uh, how would you say it, yoga benito? <laughs> I'm sorry? Yoga or yoga benito? How do I say it? The beautiful game? Ah, jogo bonito. <laughs> My apology. Portuguese isn't my that language. So. That was good, though. That was good. I'll give you that. <laughs> um, thank you. Sorry, I mangled it a little bit there. So aside from that, then, one of the things that makes a football so attractive in Brazil and places like that is that a lot of the younger children uh, with different backgrounds and less, you know, disadvantaged backgrounds and whatnot can play the sport. Do you see the possibility of golf getting to that point where less privileged children or underprivileged children get the ability to start picking up a golf club and learning to swing and hit the ball or anything of that nature? Or do you think that's still a few years away? That's, no, absolutely. It has improved so much in that way. Um, in Brazil, I went back home for Christmas and New Year's and I... I got to experience and I saw the programs that like the Brazilian Golf Confederation and uh, the Federation of Sao Paulo that they're offering to kids that don't have the means uh, to pay for, let's say, like a, a round of golf or a new set of clubs. So they have been helping and given these like opportunities for people that are not um, that can't really afford it at the moment. Can you describe for us what your life was like as a competitive junior golfer? I mean, you've, I think one of the things we want to do is if there's say any child out there or a girl listening in or their parents listening in, can you maybe share with them what your experience was like uh, as a youngster growing up or a junior player in your early teens in terms of what your practice routines were like and what kind of competition it was like and, and, what, what they can expect a little bit? Yeah, of course. So back in Brazil, um, the nearest golf course to my house was about one hour away. So I really didn't have the time to go there every day, especially because I was in a German school. So it was very hard um, academically. 
So I needed to manage my time studying and practicing. So during the week, I would just hit some chips on my backyard and my dad was able to build me a net so I could hit balls um, during the week, just just at home really easily. And then on the weekends, we would travel to the golf course and just be there all day. But I believe it's managing the time that you do the activity. So of course, I would go to school in the morning, then come home, have lunch, do my homework and practice for one or two hours in the yard and then take the weekend to properly have a range session and then play 18 holes in the afternoon. Yeah. Mm, Terrific. Louisa, we're going to take a short commercial break. And when we come back, we'll continue this train of thought and discussion. So we'll be right back. Sounds good. Built on a sleek titanium frame, With a light yet strong carbon body and a precision weighting system, the new TR20 from Hanma, speed reframed. All right, we're back. Thank you for staying with us. And we're here with our guest today, Luisa Altman, who's um, a Brazilian professional player. And we were just chatting a little bit about her competitive schedule as a junior golfer and life as a junior golfer in Brazil. Luisa, can you tell me, when did you actually start representing your home country in international competitions? So I will always remember my first international one was to a junior tournament in Uruguay. I was 12 years old and it was, I think it was a South American, how do you, I don't know how to say it in English, but it's the division before you are considered a junior golfer. So in Portuguese, it's called pre-junior level. Um, So it's 15 years old and under. And that was my very first one. And then ever since then, I I had been traveling, uh, representing Brazil twice, maybe three times a year. So was there a sense of uh, national pride then for you? to get out there and play. And- oh, for sure. It was the most honorable thing for me, waking up, putting on the Brazilian gear and going out with the team and um, representing my country. So you had the full like shirts, caps, the whole bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you could tell me that I was Brazilian from a mile away. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Great. Great to see. Good pride. <laughs> Cinderella story. Now, we did an interview last year with, uh, I think she was the very first Cinderella story winner. Uh, her oh, name was cool. Genevieve Ling. For season one. Or Jen. For yes, season one. Yes, yes. Oh, so, cool. some of our listeners might be familiar with Cinderella story KLPGA, but why don't you give us a bit of a snapshot about what the actual event is for some of the new listeners and how it was that you came to be on that? Okay. Um, So I made it on the Ladies European Tour in 2018 and I was playing a golf tournament in Thailand. Um, It was an LET event. And after my round, um, a couple of gentlemen asked me to, for like a few minutes and they, they sat me down and they showed me 
um, the concept of Cinderella story and asked me if I would be interested in being the TV show. And so I, I thought it was amazing. Um, so that January of 2019, we, de- we did the recording. So it's 10 girls um, from all over Asia, but me coming from uh, Brazil. <laughs> and we had 10 challenges. It was sort of like big break style. So we had long drive competitions. We had break the glass. We had close to the pin, bunker shots, all kinds of uh, golf challenges. And at the end of every challenge, we would each get the points. And the top two golfers would get the, the spot to play in the KLPGA for 2019. So I did... We recorded the entire season in one month in Malaysia, but they aired every Sunday on the Golf Channel um, for seven months. Was that Kuala Lumpur that you were yes, playing? Yes, it was. Beautiful was it place. The, uh, was it the uh, TPC course? It, yes, it was. Yeah. Yes, it Good. was. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. That's a beautiful area. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It is gorgeous. We never actually got to play 18 holes. The The most we did was play one hole, but recorded over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a, it's a nice place. I see it all the time on TV and in video and whatnot. I've never had the pleasure of playing it. So how are you finding? I'm kind of jumping ahead here, and I'm going to come back to Cinderella story. How are you finding it? I mean, the LET travels so much more than the LPGA. Um, you see so many more countries and so many different cultures. Not that the LPGA doesn't tra- travel, but, you know, with every country um, in Europe being a little different, and then you have that Asian swing and then the Australian swing as well. What's it like? I mean, how would you describe that kind of um, opportunity to fly and see different parts of the world and, you know, like being able to stay in Kuala Lumpur for a filming session and whatnot? Honestly, there is nothing I love more in the world than doing that. Um, With COVID nowadays, it really sucks, honestly, because the past couple of years after a round or after a tournament, we would be able to go sightsee, see a little bit of the city that we're in. With COVID, there's a lot of restrictions to where we can go on the tour, like we're getting tested three to four times a week. So we're not allowed to sit inside in restaurants. We can only sit outside. Um, Our friends, like bubble, uh, it's what we called. We can only be four people. Whereas before we can hang out, have dinner with whoever we want. But still being able to travel, see the cities, experience different cultures. It's... I like I have no words for it. It just it gives you so much more perspective in life and then you get to to play different courses and I absolutely love it. So let's go back to Kuala Lumpur and your filming. Of course. <laughs> Do you have a favorite experience that came out of the show or Ooh, anything in that nature? That's a good question. Um I think just the friendships that I made during the the show because we were together for one entire month and 
we had girls from Japan, Hong Kong, China, everywhere. So I got to learn a lot from them. And, and then I got the chance to actually live in Korea. So that was a, an experience that I cannot describe really. It's, it's being as far away from home as possible. And it's such a different culture than what I'm used to. And so I just learned, whew, I learned so much from being there, um, how the culture reacts or how they treat people of different ages, how polite they are. Um, everything works, you know, it's very clean everywhere you go. I could literally eat my dinner on the subway floor. That's, it's so clean. They keep, they keep it super neat. Everybody's in lines to get into the subway, to the bus. So it, it was like a very unique experience. Um, the second week that I was there, I received a text message on my social media from two Brazilian girls that their family are uh, Korean. So they were born and raised in Brazil, but they are they were doing a international exchange. Um, I don't really know how to say it in English, but like exchange student. So they went to university in Korea and they saw me on the TV show and they said, well, there's a there's a Brazilian living here. Like, let's just like they, they messaged me and they said, Welcome to Korea. Um, we speak we speak Korean, but I'm pretty sure you don't. So if you ever need anything, please don't hesitate to ask. And um, we want to to get to know you if you need anything. Um, we want to show you around Seoul. And um, I, I messaged them back. And on the first weekend that I was free, I took the bus to the big city. I met with them and they have been one of my best friends ever since. So they, they really made me welcome there. And it, it was just such a cool experience. Oh, that's fantastic. How long were you in Korea? Um, at a time, I was for three months. I stayed there three months at a time. Then I came back to the U.S. to play a couple of tournaments. Then I went back there for three more months. And was that follow-up to the Cinderella story? Yes, it was. Um, so I got to play 10 tournaments on the KLPGA because of uh, Cinderella story. And how did you find that experience of playing golf? Oh, wow. That was spectacular. Um, the golf there is just so elite. I learned a lot from just playing with the golfers there just getting to know them and how they play and how they see golf and also how much they practice right because I was like because of the KLPGA they got me a place they got me a place to practice and I used to practice with um, some of the KLPGA golfers so I stayed with them all day with their practice schedule and it was just great to see how different they they actually do from what I'm used to here. 
Right. Um, how did you find the, how would you say, the reverence and the importance that's attached to women's professional golf in Korea? How would you compare that and contrast that experience to playing in other parts of the world? I mean, golf in Korea is huge. It's one of the biggest sports and for men, not as much. And that's because they, they need to do the two-year military um, from 20 to 29 years old. They have to do a mandatory two years in the military. So take two years out of a golfer's life is just too much, um, especially if you want to play at a professional level. If you don't, I mean, if I take a two-week off from golf, my golf swing is all over. Imagine two years, right? So, but women's golf is huge. Um, just playing tournaments and seeing the amount of like spectators following the groups. And it's just fantastic. It's such a big part of Korean life. So it's, it's great to see that. It's great to see the support that they give and like how many like young kids are playing and it's really cool. How would you like to be able to go back to Brazil, say in 15, 20 years time and you see golf elevated to that level? Oh, for sure. That's that's one of my main goals. I want to play professional golf, but I want to be able to help the sport grow in Brazil and give the support to to junior golf because that's the future of the sport. The, the juniors right now are the future of the sport. So being able to play European Tour or LPGA and being like an image for future golfers, that's my main goal. And be able to help support whoever um, is interested in the sport or be able to just make it a more popular um, activity, let's say, in Brazil. It's one of my, my main goals. So do you, you, you feel that very much a role model responsibility to help really grow the game in Brazil? Absolutely. Um, the Brazilian Confederation and the Sao Paulo Federation have helped me so much uh, with the support that they give that they have given me. So being able to give back to my country is is huge for me. Do you have any special? I mean, it's very difficult now with the COVID and the travel restrictions and whatnot. But did you, or were you in the process of developing any events or things like that to? for when you did head back to Brazil to encourage junior camps or anything like that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I did a women's clinic last time I was in Brazil and I tried to participate in as many events as possible. I know now with COVID it's really tough. Um, I can't really, if I go back to Brazil, there's, I don't know if I can go back to the US or if I need to quarantine somewhere for 14 days. So unfortunately right now it's really tough, but I try to do as many clinics or help as many people as possible to put golf out there. Way to go. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, uh, that's the kids and the girls and the young boys all seeing you out there. And, you know, if they happen to see it on TV a little bit or catch a picture on a website of you golfing and playing professionally. I mean, that's really um, a powerful image for children at that age, especially. Yeah, I think um, having someone that can help them or just 
tell them a bit of the experience that I have had through junior golf, through professional golf, whatever it is, really, even if they're just playing golf for fun and don't want to make a career out of it. Um, just having someone that they can have ask questions about golf or help with the swing or help with some mental thoughts, anything. Great work, Louisa. <laughs> Thank you. Let's switch gears. Let's start talking a little bit about your experiences playing specifically on the Ladies European Tour. And you did play a couple events or play a little bit on the uh, Symmetra Tour as well. So how much time do you spend in airports? Let me ask you that. <gasps> Too much. Way too much. <laughs> it's kind of like that movie about the poor guy who got stuck in the airport for all that time. And Oh, tell me about it. And especially like going to Korea or going to Asia or I don't know, Middle East. I'm spending like 20 hours on a plane. <laughs> How would you say, okay, let's say you're traveling to and from Europe for, uh, what's the longest swing of uh, tournament events in on the LET for you? So... I just came back from playing five weeks, five weeks in a row. Um, I actually did. No, that wasn't five weeks. I'm sorry. I played four weeks in a row. I had one week off and then I played three more tournaments in a row. And that's probably the most I've ever done um, without taking more than a week off. Um, the, the schedule now, it's getting a lot better. Um, after COVID, we have a lot more tournaments to play which is good. And they're very close to each other. Whereas before a couple of years back, we would go Australia, South Africa, Morocco, France, then Thailand. So it was all over. And now we just went from having all our tournaments in Europe. So it makes it a lot easier for traveling, which is very yeah. good. Yeah, that's totally understandable. I mean, otherwise talk about the wear and tear of going from say Spain to Australia to South Africa exactly. to Thailand to you know <laughs> it's and back to Europe again yeah exactly. yeah it'd be very hard and all the changing not to mention the changing time zones and getting your body adjusted to all of that so because I was in Korea for so long I didn't play the ladies European tour that year so I did not have a full card for last year and I didn't play well in Q school so I got the chance to play the first events this year. And I knew I needed to play a lot of tournaments to get a good reshuffle, to get a better status. So that's why I tried to play every single tournament possible in the beginning of the year, which I did. I got a good reshuffle. So now I have a full card on the LET. But I don't plan on playing so many events in a row like I did. It's good to have a break, especially with, like you said, all the traveling. It does it does break you. Um, you have to listen to your body and say like, okay, now I need one week of doing absolutely nothing uh, just to get that energy back. But it's very yeah. important for sure. Yeah. Well, congratulations on getting uh, your priority, full priority. Oh, thank back. you so much. Thank you. I can only imagine how how much anxiety you go into the season with. And it's like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? You know, ha and having that kind of pressure every time you tee it up. Exactly. We've kind of danced around this topic, Louisa, but let me ask you this. You know, there are some people out there that think playing professional golf is such a glamorous life. And in many respects, it is. 
but um, you know, others think that it's making lots of money and, oh, wow, she must be, you know, earning so much money. You know, she's a professional player. Uh, can you tell me and share with our audience, what is it really like being a professional player trying to make it to the LPGA? I, I presume the LPGA is eventually your goal yes, as opposed to, okay. Yes, it um, it's honestly not an easy life. It's it's great that you get to travel, you get to meet new people, you get to play the sport that you love. But at the end of the day, it is my career. And I mean, it's golf. Golf, you're going to have good shots, you're going to have bad shots, you're going to have good weeks, you're going to have bad weeks. It's about managing how you react to those bad weeks and keep going because it gets tough out there. Um so you just have to keep your head up, keep playing, and eventually good rounds will come around, and um, it's it's definitely worth it. Right. Do you have a full-time caddy? No, I don't. Um, so it's, how, are you, how are you doing that, Louisa, for the different – are you looking at locals for the different events? So I usually get local caddies just because they know more about the course especially going from different countries, the grass is so different. So getting a local caddy where they know the breaks, they know this, they know that is so important. Um, With COVID, we're not allowed to get local caddies anymore. So that makes it tough. I've been carrying, um, pushing my bag the first few events because nowadays we are allowed to. A couple of years, we, we... we needed a caddy was mandatory um, for some events for the last four to five groups, um, just for pretty much like TV coverage. So now we have the choice to just have our own bags or have a local, uh, not a local caddy, but like a, your own caddy in the bag. Um, I haven't had that this year, but I will um, for the next five events. I have hired a caddy um, to be in trouble with me for these next five events. Oh, that's great. So you'll start to develop a bit of a working relationship there. Exactly. Have somebody to talk strategy with and plot out your days and practices. Yeah. Uh, Are you able to use, like, has the LET adopted the use of range finders for you? Not yet. Um, There has been a talk about it. Um, I think they're just waiting on the shipment of the rangefinders so that every single player can have one. We are allowed to on those team events. Um, and um, But it's mostly because of pace of play and because of the amateurs. The amateurs are not really... They don't really know how to measure using a yardage book. So that's the main reason. Yes, I could see that. Knowing how far you're out from the pin and yeah. what club to pull. and Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> do you use a green book or do they use green books on no, the LET? No, not anymore. So those have been banned? They have been banned, yes. Okay. Just curious because I know that they've started to look at banning them elsewhere as well. Yeah. Can you tell me what your favorite tournament is that you've played? Do you have one or is there a bunch of tournaments you like? Favorite tournament. Um, I really like those team events. They're a lot of fun. Um, 
just because it's like a different format you get to play and um it, like with amateurs and it's a team so you can talk a lot more you can talk about strategy with the amateurs so it's it's a lot of fun i like i feel like those are my favorite events so when you say a team and forgive me we've already touched on this a little bit how is it a team louisa is it just that you're playing together as a team for the four days or three days or no is um, it, it do you do you also have like a team score yeah, for that event yeah yeah it's oh, okay the, okay. the money is actually in the team event so you play with the pros and then so it's four players and then you pick the two best scores each hole and at the end of the tournament whoever gets the lowest score wins <laughs> is there a requirement to use so many scores from your amateur player sorry is there a requirement on the team side of it to have a minimum number of scores from your amateur player no 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 oh, okay yeah okay so it's not it's kind of not like a uh, Texas scramble then where you have to make sure everybody sh- gets a shot in and <laughs> yeah great uh outside of those do you have a favorite event or an event that you look forward to every year not really i I really like playing every single tournament it's a different different way every single one of them so I really just look forward to to all of them okay now traveling around a fair bit on the let and and elsewhere who are some of your favorite players or best friends on the tour that you like to play with or get paired up with um i like to play like my best friends are actually from australia so i like to play golf with them it's been tough now because most of them are not traveling as much but they are the ones that i usually just play golf with and I guess so they're not really in your bubble either now because they're, they're not really playing so much. No, no. But each tournament you can have a different bubble buddy, so it's good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On that note, uh, what are your goals for the rest of the season? I mean, you've, you've got your priority, full priority now, so you've got a little less than half the season left. Right. What are you I, looking to accomplish? My goal is to finish on the top, top 30 of the LET by the end of the year. Um, just so I can keep my card for the next year. I want to get my card for the LPGA. So I have Q school coming up. So that's my, one of my other goals. And um, that's it. Those are my main two. When you came into this season, did you have any sort of performance oriented goals that you wanted to address as well? Or was it just more on the result side with your playing and the priority? So, Coming into this season, I wanted to get a reshuffle for a full card, which I did, which I'm very, very happy about. I, For the next five events, I want to get at least two on the top 15. So whatever score I need to shoot that for that week, that's my goal. Um, two top 15s for the next five tournaments. So you didn't have any sort of off-season goals with regards to, say, you wanted to work on your short game or you wanted to reduce the number of missed fairways or you wanted to get, try and find a, you know, uh, work on your skill off the tee box to yeah. get maybe another five to 10 yards off the tee. Yeah, absolutely. That's, um, that's something that's ongoing. Um, every week I try to get better on every single area that I have. 
and but it's a long list trust me <laughs> yes yes i can see that it always is yeah you for know, sure golf's one of the sports that you know you could go out and shoot a 59 and the next day you want to shoot 58 because <laughs> you know yeah. you left a stroke or two out there <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's the nature of the beast isn't it as an let player are you getting any sort of priority status in terms of which stage of the Q series for the LPGA that you, you enter into? Um, I am not too sure, but I think, I think if you are, I think it's more about world ranking. If you're top 150, I think you go straight to Q series. I'm not too sure on the numbers. I just know I'm not in it, unfortunately. <laughs> so let's come back a little bit, Louisa. Let's hear the weirdest or funniest thing that you've seen on the golf course as a pro. I would have to say, kangaroos on the golf course <laughs> i i was playing golf my very first tournament in australia and i had on the tee box a kangaroo follow us around um, down the first tee and i said what on earth is happening here <laughs> did uh did you ever have the kangaroo interrupt your swing or no i was i just waited i did not know what to do <laughs> well he was right there did your playing companions or anybody give you a little advice how to handle a kangaroo? <laughs> no. Everybody was still in shock. <laughs> it's one thing if it's a koala bear. It's another if it's a kangaroo. Yeah. Because those kangaroos can put up a put up a bit of a uh, fight if they want right. to. Any shared stories with others that you had happen? Um, any people you meet along the way? Any celebrities you meet along the way in the airports or? Well, I got to play with my idol, Annika Sorenston, which was oh, very cool in her event. Um, it, it, oh, in Sweden. In Sweden. That was very cool. Um, you get to meet so many players out there. I I got the opportunity to play with Gary Player, with Annika Sorenston, um, Ian Poulter. So it's very cool just to just the, the people that I grew up looking up to i get the chance to actually play around with them it's it's a one in a lifetime opportunity that's for sure <laughs> oh yeah terrific <laughs> <laughs> i can tell you this he is the strongest person i have ever met every time every time i meet him is like louisa how many setups are you doing a day and i said like five ten no, 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 no. You got to do a lot more. So he gets down on the tee box and does 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups. And it's he's seriously the strongest player. The strongest player I've ever seen. He can hold two clubs with two fingers like that. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. That's a neat. That's neat. Well, there's a good story right there in itself. <laughs> you know, you got to see Gary Player do his push-ups for you on the <laughs> on tee box. box. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, Dalvi, what was it like playing with Annika? I mean, that had to have been a an incredible oh, that was experience. A cool experience. Um, just because she has been my idol since since I started playing golf, and I got the invitation to play in her event, so it was cool. I asked her way too many questions. I feel bad for her, but I played nine holes with her, and I asked, "All right, so 
what do you do in your practice rounds? Um, how do you plan for a tournament? What do you think? Well, uh, so it was cool to try to pick her brain a little bit. <laughs> and I'm sure Annika was quite accommodating and oh, taking time beautiful. to explain how she does things. She's such a beautiful yeah. person. She, she has such a welcoming and kind heart. It was, it was amazing. Well, it won't come as any surprise to you, but she was always my favorite player on tour. So. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so did you get paired with Annika the whole round, every round? No, or no, was just, it just the practice round. Oh, just okay. Round. Okay. Oh, wonderful. All right. Uh, so tell me, um, what's next for you? Q school. Q school. Q school. Okay. When does that start? In a couple of weeks? Or uh, a week? Next week. Sometime next, next week. Next week. When are you heading out to Rancho Mirage? I go on Monday. Okay. And do you have a caddy for you? Yes, there? I do. Uh, my coach is actually coming with me. His name is Stephen Balzash. So he will help me prepare for it and um, help me during the round. You mentioned, okay. Do you work with a fitness training conditioning coach as well? Um, I used to. Nowadays, I, I try and just see, especially because I'm on the road so much, I see the physio for the ladies European tour. And she helps me with like some exercise that I should do for recovery. And, um, during, during tournament rounds. So Q school and then, uh, back to Europe for some LET events. Yes, exactly. Okay. What's your first LET event that you're scheduled uh, for? The first two are actually in Sweden. Again. Yeah. Oh, Again. going back to Sweden. Exactly. I didn't think, <laughs> I only thought they were going there in, in the beginning of the yeah, season. For two tournaments actually. Oh, wow. Wonderful. And uh, after that? After that, Switzerland and France. Okay. That'll be nice. Yeah. Oh, that's great to be able to play golf like that in Europe <laughs> when you're traveling around. It's fun. How do you travel in Europe? How do I travel? Yeah. Do you take the train? Do you take a uh, fly? Uh, no, I just you know, like flight. EasyJet or? Oh, okay. Yeah. Or whichever. <laughs> whichever. I just picked that name out of the air. Just. Oh. Whatever is available. <laughs> you have some young girls and boys watching or listening in. What advice would you give them about uh, choosing to play competitive junior golf? I'd say play as many tournaments as you possibly can. Um, as a junior golfer, you get a lot more experience playing tournaments and being that competitive, like in a competitive stage rather than just playing but make sure you have fun just go out there play the sport um and um just enjoy every single moment of it right yeah yeah get to play a little bit under pressure and start to become familiar with it right exactly okay uh anything else you'd like to share uh or thank or any people you'd like to recognize yeah i'd love to thank my parents for everything. They are my life. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for their support, but also the support of the Brazilian Confederation um, for helping me build my career and for helping me get to where I am today. Did you want to also say it in Portuguese? Uh, let's say obrigada por tudo pelo apoio e muita sorte e sucesso Para todas as crianças jogando esporte. Okay. <laughs> Did you understand that? Yeah, I heard you say obrigado. So, so. 
I understand that too. And I'll say obrigado to you as well. There you go. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Louisa. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, oh, it's an honor to, to be here. I really thank you for this opportunity. Oh, no, our pleasure is all ours. Thank you. Um, we try to focus a lot on, on the women's professional golf. So we think that uh, you're playing on the LET and helping to grow the game and whatnot is a fantastic experience yeah. and one worth sharing to everybody else. Oh, thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, you take care and um, best of wishes and best luck for uh, Q School and Rancho Mirage and hope to see you. I'm pretty sure we'll see you at the next few stages and getting into the Q series. Thank you so much. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. You are listening to We're Talking Golf, produced by the world of golf. The views expressed by our guests are the sole views of the guest and not of the podcast show, We're Talking Golf, nor of the producer, the world of golf, nor any of its personnel, including the host, Douglas Mader. This episode was recorded on Saturday, August 14th, 2021. If you have an idea for a future show, please send us an email to info at worldofgolf.org. Please include podcast show in the subject line. This show is the copyright of the world of golf. Thank you for listening. <laughs>